So welcome to the visitors. I'm Kevin Poole. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, yeah. Thank you again. All right. Thank you. Uh, and today I wanted to talk to you about something that God has been doing in my life over the last couple of years. And it's something that's kind of changed everything, uh, my filter, the way I see things. And it's about being a friend of God. All right. So I'm hoping it brings you the same revelation that it brought me. Before we start, I want to read a verse, Mark 10, 15. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So the word child there means a child under training. So if you picture a mother and a father and they tell their child something, you know, uh, a young child perhaps, they'll say, oh, it's like this or it's like this. And the child will say, oh, okay. And they accept it and they believe it. And so with that in mind, uh, let's pray one more time. <laughs> God, we love you. Lord, please bring your truth and your revelation into our hearts today. And Lord, let us receive it like a child under training. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so let's paint this picture together. So how many of you know that you used to be sinners, right? And then you received Jesus and you became saints, right? So 2 Corinthians 5.17 puts that we become a new creation, and that Greek word for new is kainos, and it means of a new kind, unprecedented, and also recently made. So then in Romans 5.8, Paul said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that's before we deserved it, Christ died for us. So once we received Jesus, not only did the power of the cross save us from sin, death, hell, the grave, sickness, demonic oppression, to list a few, but it also transformed us into a recently made, unprecedented creation. And this new creation hadn't happened before, right? This was the first time. So while we were sinners, we were born with a sinful nature. We were prone to sin, right, automatically. As this new creation, no longer are we prone to sin, but now we are prone to righteousness. So. Don't turn here, but I'm going to go through a couple scriptures quickly. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says that Jesus became to us righteousness from God. Then 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus was the righteousness from God. Now we are the righteousness of God. So in John 8.12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Then in Matthew 5:14, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So Jesus said, I am the light, you are the light. Jesus was the righteousness, you are the righteousness. So there's this theme here building. So if you could, you can turn to this one if you have your Bibles. Let's turn to John 8. You can also use your apps if you prefer. I'm reading out of the ESV for those who want to follow. So John 8:31. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free you will be free indeed. So we're going to hop to another scripture, but before we do, let's just do a quick summary of that. When you know the truth, Jesus takes you from 
a slave to sin to a son. Okay, simple as that. Also, that word know is kind of a big deal. In reference to truth is the word gnosko, and it means to learn to know, to come to know, to get a knowledge of or perceive, and it's also a Jewish idiom for intercourse between a man and a woman. So it's a real deep know. I know the person. I know the thing. Not, I heard you say that, and I believe it in my head, so I know it's true. It's not that. It's a know. So Jesus said you will know the truth, know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Well, what's the truth? Right? So remember that saying that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. That's the verse we're going to look at. Let's look at the context of it. It's 1 John 3, 4. If you guys can turn there. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. So why did Jesus appear? Take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. And no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So let's go over those two again. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And then the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Very good. All right, verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Okay, so that scripture can sound a little scary at first. So don't hear what it's not saying. It's actually written to believers. So, oh no, I keep on sinning. I'm a child of the devil. That's not it, right? What the scripture is actually saying, how many of you have ever felt stuck in something? We all have. What the scripture is actually saying is that that feeling is not true. If you know Jesus, the fact is that you can't be stuck in sin. No, I'm addicted to porn or drinking or gambling or I struggle with fear, anxiety, hopelessness, depression, any of these things. I'm sorry, you may feel addicted or stuck, but the fact is, you can't actually be stuck because you're not a slave to that. If you believe you're stuck, it's actually just a lie. Or phrased another way, it doesn't have to be true. You don't have to allow it or agree with it. Right? There's power in agreement. You don't have to agree with it. If you know Jesus, you can't actually be stuck because you're no longer a slave to sin. It's no longer your master. It's just not true. Jesus said, when you sinned, you became a slave to sin. But when you became a son, you were free from sin. So did you receive Jesus? Yes. yes. Okay, then you're a son and no longer a slave to sin. And you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. So that word truth, aletheia, I love that word. It means in reality. So you will know the reality and the reality will make you free. Well, what's the reality? The reality is that you're a son of God, and sin is not your master. And you don't have to act like a slave to it, because you're not a slave to it. 1 John 3, 9 says, God's seed abides in you. You were born of God. God's seed is righteousness. You were reborn into righteousness. 
So therefore, if you practice sin, it's actually incongruent with your nature. It's like when what you say and your body language don't line up. Yeah, I'm totally open to your opinion. <laughs> Just looks kind of silly. It's not true. Don't raise your hand, but you can acknowledge in your head. <laughs> How many of you feel stuck in something right now? What sets you free? Realizing that feeling stuck and being stuck are two very different things. Right? If you're a son or a daughter, sin can't rule you. As John 3, 5 says, sins have been taken away by Jesus. Okay, so I've laid a platform. I'm ready to start the sermon. <laughs> Just kidding. No, we're, we've almost got this picture painted. Okay, so if you could go ahead and turn to John 5, and we're going to draw this out while you guys turn there. We began as slaves to sin before we knew God. The term sinners means that we sinned over and over again, right? We practiced sin. It was our nature. We were probably good at it, right? Then we received Jesus, and we become slaves to righteousness. Righteousness now becomes our nature. Now we begin to practice righteousness because it simply flows out of us. It is now our DNA. So Romans 6.17 says, Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, dot, 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 awesome words, verse 18, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So we were slaves to sin, then we become slaves to righteousness. Is everyone in John 15? This is the good stuff. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So that word prune and the word clean are actually the same word. It's kathairo, and it means to cleanse. So let's look at that again. Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He cuts it, takes it away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it. He cuts it better, less, that it may bear more fruit. So based on that verse, you're going to get cut either way. <laughs> Just how far back? Right? <laughs> so Jesus said, if you bear fruit, you're going to get pruned. And now you guys over here, you already got pruned. Well, when did that happen? I spoke to you, and when I spoke to you, I pruned you. So let's pause here. Isn't pruning painful? Does it have to be? Does it always have to be painful? In this case, Jesus spoke truth, and when his disciples received it, received the truth, they were automatically pruned. That sounds like a good way to be pruned. I'll take that one. Hmm. Do you want to hear my patented strategy for this? <laughs> Just kidding, Dwayne. It's not patented. You all can use it. <laughs> so yeah, still got to pay me royalties. <laughs> so you know how you always hear Christians say, Lord, humble me. Lord, take this thing away from me. Lord, help me to learn and grow. So God likes us to pray specifics. So I like to pray, Lord, please humble me in the least painful way possible. <laughs> Why not, right? Lord, please teach me the lesson I need to learn in this context with the least amount of pain, suffering, or face planning, right? Possible so that I can learn what I need to learn and I don't have to circle this mountain again. I don't have to do the same thing over and over and over and I can move on in victory. 
Why not, right? The Lord says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. So the other thing about pruning, I had the opportunity to meet the winemaker of Tarara last week, which was awesome. And winemakers like to talk about wine and making wine. And during the process, he mentioned the word prune. And I said, oh, tell me about pruning. That's not very exciting for most people to talk about. So he's like, well, uh, okay. And as we were talking about it, you know, he said some very interesting things. Do you have that slide? Andrew, can you put the first slide up? He said some very interesting things. And he said, basically, if you don't prune the vine, the fruit that it bears is useless. Hmm, very interesting. So on the left, we have a vine that has not been pruned. And these aren't the best pictures, sorry, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, And basically, when they prune, you know, that same vine on the left might have two or three shoots in the end, that are over, it's their second year or more, and they'll grow what comes on the right. And so that fruit is not useless, that's good fruit. And the bottom is a little diagram that shows pre-pruned, after pruned. So basically, if the vine's not pruned, you can't use the fruit, it's useless. It doesn't have eternal value, maybe, is a better way to put it. So if we let God prune us, the fruit can be useful. Now, when we're pruned, there's also a great promise attached to it. And the words shared up front today were awesome. <laughs> Thank you for sharing them because it just gives me more. So are you guys all with me? Yeah. Okay. All right. John 15, verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Let's stop there for a second. Are we apart from God? No, the answer, yeah, we're not. Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Right? Matthew 28.20, Jesus said, Observe all things I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So when you hear people say, I can't do anything without God, that's great, and it's true, but you're not without God. So why, why quote that verse? Right? It's almost like you're saying, I'm waiting to feel God, with me before I do anything. But God is already with you. The Holy Spirit is already inside you. His righteous nature is already with you. His seed is already abiding in you and grows. And Jesus already said, observe all things I've commanded you. Yeah, it's food for thought. And I believe four out of the last five preaches from this stage and this stage before this was here uh, talked about co-laboring with the Lord. And this is that thing of co-laboring. This is, you know, we're, we're working with God in all things. It's about the relationship. Let's pick up at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they're burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Did you guys just hear what I heard? You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Does it say you will ask what I, the Lord your God, desire, and it will be done for you? Does it say you will ask what you desire within reason, and it will be done for you? No, it doesn't say that. And even today, with miracles and supernatural and God showing up and impacting lives, cutting to the core, you can even said, ask him for it. Let's ask him for it. This is one of those things. Let's read on. Verse 8, by this... By this, asking for what you desire, and it being given to you, 
By this my Father is glorified, that you will bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment. Bing, bing, bing. This is it, guys. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So what does that look like practically? Can you put the second slide up? Practically, we're actually going to read through the list. So loving one another could look like helping one another, protecting one another, speaking truth to one another, honoring one another, encouraging one another, covering over one another, not being offended easily and thinking the best of one another thinking good about their intentions, calling each other out in a godly way, donating time or money to someone who needs, caring for someone. Maybe it's doing things for people that will go unnoticed. Hmm. Another quick tangent on that note. Why do we do things? Why do we do good things? Is it for our eternal reward? It's fine. It's good if, if it is. Why does God do things for us? Why does God have more good thoughts about us than all the sand on all the seashores of the whole world? I think it's because he loves us. So again, why do we do things? It's great. I, I, I actually tell God, God, thank you for this eternal reward. I'm not going to say no to it. That'd be stupid. But thank you for it, but I want to do this because I love you. Right? That's the motive. A little side, side tangent there. On to verse 15. No longer do I call you servants. So the word here is the same word in John 8, doulos, for slave. So, no longer do I call you slaves, for a slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. There again, saying, love one another. So that's a pretty awesome scripture. It's got a lot in there. I know it's all right, I'm throwing a lot at you. Well, let's break it down. Let's try to summarize it, make it biteable, like one of those giant pastrami sandwiches from New York. Oh, crush it first and then bite it. It said, abide in me, and I in you, and you will bear much fruit. If my words and commandments abide in you, and you love one another as I have loved you, you can ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. It's a really good promise. And I want to highlight the fact that this verse expects us to have a desire or a will. Right? God created us this way in his image, and he expects us to have a will, just like he has a will. I'd like to present to you that what I believe the scripture is saying is that if you're willing to let God speak to you, to clean you, to prune off the areas of your life that are dead or unfruitful, just like the vine, and you abide in his love, and because you love him, you keep his commandments, that you can be trusted by God to ask for anything you wish and to be done for you. Not for your glory, for God's glory. So, can a slave ask for anything they wish and it be done for them? Probably not, right? 
Could a close friend of a wealthy, powerful king ask for whatever they want and it be done for them? Probably. So Jesus is our model. And do you know that Jesus and the Father each had their own wills? So in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was sweating blood, which is very intense, Luke 22, verse 42, he said, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So this means that Jesus and the Father both had separate wills. And just because they had separate wills doesn't mean they don't line up, right? Just because you have a separate will doesn't mean it doesn't line up. It just means you get to have a will, right? You get to have a choice. You were created in God's image, in his likeness. So you know in the garden, God created everything. He created a lot of trees, and he specified two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He said, eat of all the trees, except don't eat the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So good tree, bad tree. Why did God create good tree, bad tree? Good question, Kevin. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so God can only reward for making a good choice if we have the opportunity to make a bad choice. Right? Without a bad tree, we can't even choose that if we wanted to. You see, God didn't create us to be a bunch of slaves to just take orders, to be robots or trained monkeys. That's not what he wanted. He created us in his likeness, with free will and choice, to have relationship with him, to worship him, to have friendship with him. In the scripture before we read, Jesus said, no longer do I call you slaves. That means he did call us slaves at one point. So you can't just go from you know, saved to friend of God. Right? There's a bit of a growth process, and the Bible spells it out, that we go from slave to sin to slave to righteousness, where we're established as a son, right there, right? And then as we mature, we can grow into a friend of God. So I have three sons, Jacob, Ethan, and David, and they're wonderful. And they're my sons, and they have a room in my house, and they have access to my resources. And someday they'll inherit all I have, and I will make things happen so that they will succeed better in life. But you know, they're not my friends. Not yet anyways, right? But I'm excited for when they grow and mature and they can be my friends. And we can golf together, we can hang out, we can watch football, we can play, we can talk about life. And I don't have, I'm not a father that's direct, I'm a friend. Now, now we're friends, like, like Ken and Clay, you know? I'm excited for that day and I believe that's how God feels about us as well. And you know, it's not just an on-off switch. There's a maturity continuum, right? Right. So... This message is about moving out of slavery. And now, there are active slave camps right now, everywhere, where everyone says, I'm a slave to Jesus. Awesome, right? And God loves us, and we're going to heaven, and it's great. And you can stay there forever with all the other slave people. But that's not what God wants for us. That's not what God wants for us. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. God wants to bring us to a place of deep relationship with him and maturity in him where he speaks to us a lot and he reveals things to us and he shows us things to intercede for and we start praying and then we say, God, what about this? He says, oh yeah, that's good. Now we're co-laboring, we're working together in all things. Right? It's about the relationship. It's about the intimacy. You know, revelation can't be studied or learned. It can be revealed 
It's revelation. And it's revealed through relationship, through intimacy, through friendship. And I have some examples, but I had to cut the sermon in half. So, you know, we'll have to save that for the future. So we're the bride of Christ. And God is preparing this bride, the church, for the bridegroom. Right? Proverbs 31 describes an excellent, prospering, virtuous wife. It says that she considers a field and buys it. It doesn't say she considers a field, checks with her husband, prays and waits on confirmation before doing anything. Don't hear what I'm not saying. We must use wisdom, but that's exactly what the scripture is talking about. It says the heart of her husband trusts her. Maybe this is why Jesus said we can ask whatever we wish and it will be done when the bridegroom can trust us. We can ask the Father anything we wish because we obey his commandments and we abide in him and his words abide in us because we love one another and we're not just faking it like it's so easy to do in this culture. So, how many of you have an excitement or desire for greater and closer friendship with God? All right. Can I just have everyone stand? Make it easy. So I'm going to read this verse while you guys are standing. And I really like the NLT translation of, of Matthew 7, 7. It says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. So if this is you today and this deeper, deeper friendship, relationship, maturity in God is something you want, let's come before the Father together. I'm just going to pray a prayer. I'm going to do line by line. And so if you agree and this is for you, speak it out loud. I want to encourage you to say it with your mouth. Just like Proverbs says, you know, the power of life and death is in the tongue. So we want to declare this thing. So if you agree with it, just say it. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you that I'm not a slave to sin. Please prune me in a minimally painful way. Jesus, let your words abide in me. Teach me to abide in you and to keep your commandments, and to love one another, so that you can trust me. Father, I long for greater friendship with you. In Jesus' name. Yeah. Amen.